This is Bulls Beat on USF Bulls Unlimited. Each weekday morning, Bulls Beat is your stop for exclusive interviews, highlights, and the very latest on all sports at the University of South Florida. With today's show, here's your host, Derek Sharp. And greetings from Fort Worth, Texas, where the women's basketball team tomorrow and the men's basketball team in a few days will begin play in the American Athletic Conference Tournament. We are here to bring you the action. And, of course, Jim Lighthall and Joey Johnston will be here tomorrow, actually. And we'll probably say hi to them at some point, getting ready for their broadcast, which will be the first game on Thursday. Ours will be the first game tomorrow. We'll give you much more on the exact schedule, what we hope is a long run for both teams. Of course, the women are the number one seed, regular season champions. The American Athletic Conference regular season champion has never lost in the conference tournament, as you'll recall. UConn never lost an American Athletic Conference game, so it was up to the other teams once UConn departed to continue that trend. And so far in the two years, the Bulls and last year UCF actually did that. We've been calling for a certain thing to happen as far as player of the year in the conference. It happened on Sunday. The conference honors were announced. We'll get there in just a little bit as well. In our second segment, we'll get to baseball, softball, women's tennis, which had a couple, as we told you, of big challenges on the schedule. They went one and one in those challenges, so they continue their good work. Women's golf is in action, so there's a lot to get to. And what the heck, why don't we add spring football to the mix as practice begins today. In fact, this afternoon, it'll be a warm first practice for Alex Golish in the spring. So we'll give you plenty of notes on that tomorrow. Obviously, I'm not there. I'm in Texas. And we will, down the road, give you plenty of football coverage, including the actual play-by-play of the spring game. But for now, I'm going to be leaning on my friends back at home and telling you to go to the USF Football Twitter page. And I'm sure they'll be putting out plenty of quality videos as well. Normally, for a conference tournament, you know, most of the folks that work in the audio and video departments are here, or at least most of the key figures. And I noticed, I mean, we definitely have a big entourage here, but a lot of the people I thought would be here weren't. And this explains it because they're going to give you that coverage. Now, there's going to actually be a press conference, and it's at 12.30. Our pregame show for women's basketball starts at 12.45. So, again, we're not going to be having that on USF Bulls Unlimited like we normally would if our game was at a different time, perhaps. But, obviously, we'll have comments on Wednesday's show from Alex Golish, also scheduled to speak at that press conference, which will be held at the Indoor Performance Facility. Already uh, another use for that nice building. Donovan Jennings and Rashad Cheney are also scheduled to speak. And I'll remind you that Jim Lauk will still be doing interviews with more members of the assistant coaching staff. If you missed his chats with Tyler Hudanik, the offensive line coach, and Kevin Patrick coming back for a third stint. Those are up on our unlimited, unloaded platform. So plenty of audio, and we'll do live coverage of press conferences when we can. And just in general be your home for USF football. Wednesday, by the way, is their pro day, so we'll let you know who's participating in that once we find out. We are here in Fort Worth because on Tuesday at 1 o'clock, the women's basketball team will be starting off what it hopes is a second championship run in three seasons. The Bulls are the number one seed, and they have the players of the year in the conference. Indeed, it's something I've been putting out there for a few weeks. Why split up Dulce Fankamengiadu and Elena Chinecki. The league did it once before back in 2017. You guessed it, UConn, with Katie Lou Samuelson and Nafisha Collier. No one blinked an eye. And of course, if you look at the rebounding numbers and the improvement that she's made, Dulce Fankamengiadu, if you had to pick one, yep, I'm not going to do that because Elena Chinecki is just as important to this team 
And Sammy Puisis is not that far behind. She was on the second team, but Dulce Fankamengiadu and Elena Chinecki are your co-players of the year. Hopefully you saw the article that Joey Knight wrote for the Tampa Bay Times, which in its Sunday newspaper, they only have a print version of the paper on Wednesdays and Sundays. So you can still go back and get this. It was front and center, a feature on Dulce Fankamengiadu, her whole backstory, how she came from Cameroon, how she at first didn't really want to play basketball because people bullied her and made fun of her for her height and how she ended up coming to Tennessee due to just a, a friend that was ready to bring her to Memphis. Problem was she wasn't quite eligible yet for paperwork situations and ended up starting off her career at a junior college before playing two seasons at Memphis. And also very interesting that she said one of the things that made her realize USF was a place she wanted to finish her career at was how she noticed on social media how they tend to look like they have a good vibe and how their athletic director, Michael Kelly, travels with the team. And obviously going up against USF, she kind of knew what the vibe was, and that's what landed her and, of course, Ariel Wilson here with the Bulls. So statistically, at the very end, at the closing bell, East Carolina's Danae McNeil actually ended up as the league's leading scorer, just edging out the two players who had been one and two all year long. But that was not going to be enough to get Danae McNeil player of the year in the conference. She got plenty of honors. We'll get there later on in full as we do a conference show on Monday afternoon around the American. But on this show, we'll focus on the Bulls. Elena Chinecki averaged right shy of 18 points per game. McNeil, by the way, 18.17. Dulce Fankamangiadu, 16.74 points. And how about 12.5 rebounds per game? She was a double-double machine. She splashed onto the national scene, not that she wasn't there already, with her amazing performance against Ohio State, 34 points and 17 rebounds. The undefeated Buckeyes could not stop her at the time. The Buckeyes were number three in the country. They ended up losing some games. Boy, the events over the weekend and all of college basketball uh, of course, we'll cover it for you during our broadcast more in depth on Tuesday. But Ohio State making the finals and then giving up the old 30.17 assist triple-double to Iowa's Caitlin Clark. Washington State running through to win the Pac-12 Conference Tournament. There's a lot going on. And, of course, we'll sort of, as we get closer to Selection Sunday, talk about how it may impact the Bulls as far as their tournament seed goes. But we'll get there. Here we're just going to celebrate the fact the Dulce Fankamengiadu and Elena Chinecki were co-players of the year, well-deserved. Of course, they were both on the first team unanimously, as was McNeil. Also on the first team, Houston's Layla Blair and Tulsa standout Tamara Poindexter. You could just sort of see those were going to be the five. Sammy Puisis, you certainly could have argued for a spot on the first team for her. I think Blair's 30 points and the fact that she was the reason that the Bulls lost the only conference game that they lost, put Blair on that first team over Sammy Puises. But as you know, she was phenomenal this year as well, leading the nation in three-point makes. 40% from three-point land, 89% from the line. So she was on the second team. So she was on the second team, and Carla Brito made the all-freshman team. Again, the full conference rundown will give you on Around the American and we'll do that show in and around 
the actual first day of games. Today at 1 o'clock is the 8-9 game, and that will net the Bulls' opponent. I know that I get the itinerary sent. We are going to do our lunch around watching that game and seeing. Of course, the Bulls have played both of these teams, but seeing how it unfolds between the Shockers and Temple. So we'll tell you more about the Bulls' opponent on tomorrow's show. The Wichita State Shockers were the men's opponent. Everything was set up for the men to win and get the number six at worst or seven seed. As it turned out, they would have gotten the outside help necessary to be the sixth seed instead. Unfortunately, they stayed in the eighth spot, meaning a possible quarterfinal date with Houston if they can get by their first opponent, East Carolina. And that's because they picked Sunday to have one of their worst days of the year offensively. You're going to hear what Brian Gregory had to say about that here shortly, but it was not close. It was close at halftime, but the Bulls end up losing to the Shockers. It was their senior day, and they got a pretty good senior in Craig Porter Jr. 24 points, 3 for 5 on threes, 5 rebounds, 5 assists. But from the Bulls' perspective, they just couldn't get it going offensively. Just 5 for 22 from the floor in the second half. And to boot, 3 for 8 from the free throw line in the second half. Tyler Harris was just 3 for 13, scored 10 points. Ryan Conwell... Ryan Conwell was kind of shut down two points on one of six shooting. The Bulls did not have Selton Miguel. Underneath, Russ Chiwa, nine points and six rebounds. Didn't really get much going. Keyshawn Bryant, ineffective, fouled out in this game. So a guy goes from scoring 30 on senior night to two. And you don't have to be a math expert to realize that that's not going to be enough. Like I said, it was close at halftime, 36 to 33. But the Bulls simply were not able to compete in the second half. Here's what Brian Gregory said to our Jim Lighthall and Joey Johnston afterwards. Unfortunately, I thought it was our, our, in a long, long time, our worst ball movement on offense. We didn't share the ball. We didn't move the ball, uh, over-dribbled the ball. Just you can't do that on the road against a very, very good defensive team. And it just put our, our, our transition defense in, in peril as well. And they just had the best player on the court in Craig Porter. You know what I mean? He's going to be... I think probably first team all league, probably defensive player of the year in the league, and we had no answer for him. You know, uh, be it off one-on-one plays or off the ball screen, he just you know scored or created. But it was it was on the offensive end our lack of movement and sharing the ball that really really was evident. You know, and and hadn't played that way in a long long time. So disappointed in that for sure. You forced a lot of turnovers in the first half, which kind of kept you in the game because you weren't shooting the ball all that great. The problem was you weren't capitalizing on those turnovers. And then at the end of the game, you forced 15, but only had seven points. Yeah, just not, you know, obviously you get those turnovers and you need to get that ball up to court quick and and make a play for each other. And and the ball just kept bogging down. You know what I mean? The ball just stuck, stuck, stuck. And and when you do that, they're, they're big. And they're very good defensively, and they use their length at all five positions. So when that ball stops, now they're able to load up the ball side. They're able to load up the help. They're able to load up in the post on Russell. So you, you got to keep that ball moving against them. And uh, it was it was offensively, as I told the guys, you know, if, if we're going to hold the ball, if we're not going to cut and move, if we're not going to make the extra pass, if we're going to stop because we're open and we didn't get the ball, then we're going to score 55 points, 60 points. You know, it's just it's the, way the way offense works. And, um, and again, what it does, it just puts so much pressure on your defense as well. You know, we, we missed 17 shots 
in the second half. Our first offensive rebound was with a minute to go in the game. You know, so what does that go back to? It goes back to one of the things I always talk about. You're not breaking down the defense. You're not, the defense is playing underneath you the whole time. So you're not, even if you're going, which I didn't think we went with the intensity that we normally go with, you're, you're not going to get the offensive rebounds because the defense is underneath you the whole time. And that's exactly what happened in the second half. Boy, that one little note he passed, I think, was all you needed to hear there, although we gave you much more because I always appreciate the time that Brian Gregory gives, and it was a complete recap of what went wrong. But the fact that they were 5-for-22 in the second half, so plenty of chances to get offensive rebounds and could not get one until the last minute, just talking about in the second half, is not going to get it done. Jaquan Walton, Wichita State's leading scorer, was out for this game due to an injury. So even that could have worked out in the Bulls' favor. But Wichita State does have four that average in double figures. And Craig Porter obviously took the scoring load. So the Bulls, had they won, would have been the sixth seed and would have gotten to start off against bottom seed Tulsa and would have been not even having to face Memphis, much less Houston, in the quarterfinals. The three seed ends up being Tulane. No, instead, the Bulls are the eighth seed. They'll play the first game of the men's bracket Thursday at 1230. That's Tampa time against East Carolina, a team they've beaten twice. But if they win, they'll have to turn around and play Houston. The number one team in the country wins at the buzzer in Memphis in a wild game. And that's who the Bulls will have to get through just to get to the semifinals, of course, this time of year. It's just incredible watching all the conference tournaments. You've got teams playing for seeds. You've got teams hoping to get in for the first time in school history like Kennesaw State and the Atlantic Sun. Quick tangent, Kennesaw State beats Liberty in a thrilling game. Kennesaw State had never won more than 14 games. They win 25, so they're a great story. So is Liberty. They have an outstanding score. Darius McGee, he's sixth in the country, scores around 23 a game. They're 44th in the net. Right now, by just computer ranking, they should be in the field. And yet, Joey Brackett's on ESPN.com, and Liberty's not even in the running to get into the tournament. Why can't we expand the field so that you can get teams like Liberty in, along with your teams that go maybe 8-12 and 12 in the Big Ten, like Wisconsin is sitting on 8-11, and 11, and by the way, 78th, according to the computers, and of course, is projected as the last team in the field. Folks, if you ever want to hit me up, I've got a perfect system, 96 teams, you get 12 more at-larges, but you require that at least 16 conferences get an at-large. That would put in Liberty. That would put in real crazy idea here. Some teams that finish second in conferences that are not quite of the power variety. And then for the last 16 spots, you'd have a play-in tournament where all of the regular season champs, and yes, even some better second and third teams, would get to host those against... Sure, some power conference teams that would actually go up against each other. And anyway, let's move on. But I love the basketball either way and love when teams make unlikely runs. You've got a couple of smaller conference finals today where you've got the one seed going up against the seven and the eight. So hopefully the Bulls can be one of those surprise stories and their story hopefully begins on Thursday. Now, we hope that the women will be playing on Thursday night. The championship game is scheduled for 9 o'clock Eastern time, but something tells me that's not going to happen because, for whatever reason, the, the Bulls, as we just told, just scheduled to play East Carolina at 1230. That'll be followed by UCF against SMU. And then the third men's game of the day is Tulsa and Wichita, 7 Eastern. I don't think that the women's conference championship is going to get off on time at 9 o'clock, but... 
if it does and the Bulls are in it, we'll be there. And we'll definitely be there for all the games this week in Fort Worth and all the NCAA tournament games that will follow beginning next week. Coming up next, we had some softball and baseball action on the channel this weekend. Unfortunately, baseball gets swept by Northeastern. The women had a thrilling finish. In fact, we'll play that for you in full when we come back. We'll also tell you about tennis and more here on Bulls Beat. Stay tuned. So I've already had one rant about just the system and the problem with the men's college basketball. I know the tournament's great. It's perfect. If you don't care who gets into the field and you just care about your bracket and your easy chair, sorry, your opinion doesn't really speak to the entirety of Division One men's basketball, what the issues are that teams like Liberty have no chance and a team like FAU or even talking about might not make the tournament if they don't win the Conference USA. If you want to rant about Jose Fernandez not being named the women's basketball coach of the year, I could give that to you, but you know we're going to hold off on that, and we are going to explain why he wasn't the coach of the year later on on Monday on Around the American. So stay tuned for that. We had plenty of excitement this weekend and plenty of, unfortunately, disappointment as we broadcast the Friday and Saturday baseball games, and we were not on the air Sunday due to actually me being in the air in a plane, and we didn't have the softball game. And Well, those were both defeats, but let me tell you first, before we get to baseball and softball, that men's basketball broadcast, which we had from Wichita, there's one guy, and one guy only, well, two, our director of broadcasting for Unlimited and the Strike 1025 and for the Lightning, his name is Steve Versnick, got to work on trying to find an engineer. Yeah, we usually have road engineers for Jim and Joey, and there was a no-show. So Pat Strothman is his name, works there with the Shockers. I guess he was, just by coincidence and proving his worth, he was given some honor by the team before the game. And he was the one that got us on the air about two seconds till the planned 1.30 time. So if, if you happen to be listening at 1.30 and heard it sound a little strange, the, the levels weren't quite perfect, they got there. That's why we were just putting it together with duct tape for a few minutes. Now, on Bulls Unlimited, on Friday night, we had the baseball game. And we told you about Northeastern, how they came to town with 14 homers in their last four games and how they were 5-1. and one, And they kept it going. Unfortunately for the Bulls, Hunter Mink, who has been their most reliable starter, did not have a good night, gave up four runs, and the Bulls ended up getting run-ruled. Initially, there was not going to be a run-rule. It's not something that you talk about beforehand, but just the way this game went, especially when it got out of hand, it was agreed upon between the coaches, and no one was arguing with the decision. And it definitely didn't seem like it was going to be a run-rule at the beginning. In fact, it started off pretty well. First inning was almost flawless by Hunter Mink, and here we go to the bottom of the first. Oh, Boza drills that one. We'll get a wind test right away. It's going straight away center field, and it's over the wall. And I mean dead central. Home run for Bobby Bozer. It's one to nothing. However, Northeastern would get one back in the second and take the lead for good in the fourth with four runs after a bases-loaded walk. Again, these were two walks and a hit-by-pitch to load the bases. There was a wild pitch in there. Mike Sirota, their outstanding leadoff hitter, doubles to center field. That would be followed by another two RBI double. There were a lot of extra base hits. Won't break it all down for you today, given up by the Bulls pitching staff, but that is of major concern. And then the Bulls would scratch back for runs in the fourth and the fifth, so this was still a game. It was 5-3. to three. The Huskies, every time the Bulls scored, they had an answer. They had answers when the Bulls weren't scoring all weekend long. But in this case, they had gotten an RBI single. You know when something 
is foretelling. This was the moment that took a 6-3 game, and unfortunately, and we love Daniel Cantu, you could just tell something bad was going to happen after this. Bomb so far, and he wants one now. He is a righty, so the wind favors him. And he goes the other way with it. Well, it hang up for Cantu. He goes towards the foul ground and drops it. Wind fooled him. That ball looked like it was headed out of play for sure and stayed in. Cantu had plenty of room. And so definitely the wind playing tricks on both teams. And let's hope it does not cost the Bulls. How many times have you seen that, though? A man, especially one that's been struggling, feels like he's gotten a second lease. And even though it's 0-2, of course, Lane has struck out three times. So, oh, man, I thought Gailey got him there with the slider, but just missed on the outside corner. Two out, two on for the Huskies up 6-3 runners. Going that time, and there it is. Drills it deep to left field, and you can see that coming. And no one feels worse than Daniel Cantu right now. A three-run home run. And the Huskies break it back open. It's 9-3. They would get another home run in the inning. So five unearned runs. And all of a sudden, with four in the next inning, it's 15-3. And like I said, a run rule situation that you didn't think was in the cards. Next day, more not-so-good starting pitching by the Bulls as Northeastern rips to a quick lead. But the Bulls, after being down six, got back in it. We said there was a freshman that had a fantastic weekend. Wow. If you're Northeastern with the bases loaded. And it's not going to happen. That ball gets golfed deep to left field. I mean, really deep. And I mean, out of here. Eric Snow. Remember the name. His first career homer is a slam. And the Bulls are back in it. It's about 85 degrees out, but it's snowing in Tampa. Oh, my first chance for a snow pun, I was not going to pass on it. Bulls were back in it, but as I said, anytime they did something, Northeastern had an answer. One in the fifth, three more in the sixth, and Northeastern with three home runs in this game. They added a lot of punch in their lineup via the transfer portal, and they've got some freshmen who are making some contributions offensively. And Spencer Smith, who wasn't even a starter, but for two of their first six games, started flashing the leather like he somehow had to be related to Ozzie Smith. So it wasn't going the Bulls' way this weekend. And then on Sunday, we did not have this game on the air, but we'll definitely play this call by Jim Lauk as the Bulls took a 4-2 lead. It was that kid again. Big moment early for the Bulls here with the bases loaded and now a 2-1 and one count on Eric Snow. Snow out of Forsyth, Georgia. And he hits this one pretty well toward left. Going back is Feinberg, and that's gone. He's done it again. Eric Snow, second Grand Slam home run in two days. And the Bulls take the lead on Northeastern. How about that? How about that, indeed? Bulls had the lead, and... Very optimistic, but then a freshman came in and shut them down. Avon Cabral went more than five innings, had a nasty curveball, struck out eight. And he pitched straight through the seventh inning after coming in for their starter after that snow hit. Finally, the Bulls get to look at somebody else, and sure enough, they get a couple runners on quickly, and Drew Brutcher, an RBI single. Then they bring in somebody else, and he gets two strikeouts on six pitches. So it looked like the rally had fizzled. Northeastern tacks on a run in the top of the ninth. It's 8-5. to five. 
But then the Bulls, against Nick Davis, the guy who closed the eighth, start to get something going. Snow takes that curveball to right field for a single. Ben Rosenblum does the same to left field on the first pitches they see, so they've gotten him figured out, right? Strikeout, though, and now there are two away. But Bobby Bozer and Daniel Cantu rip RBI singles, and all of a sudden, it's a one-run game. Northeaster makes a change. Here comes Jake Igliotti, who's not gotten a save since 2021. And it's a 3-1 and one pitch, and I, I've been putting some close calls that have been going against the Bulls on Twitter. I'm not going to do it again, but I'm telling you, 3-1 and one pitch, definitely inside curveball. It was called a strike. Should have been bases loaded. Next pitch, Drew Brutcher, maybe still expecting a curveball, gets a fastball right down the heart and looks at it. And that's how the Bulls finished up the weekend. Unfortunately, they are now 3 and nine. Softball three and one so far in the Bulls Invitational. We had the Kansas highlights on Friday's show that on Friday, the Bulls got a run rule victory against Rhode Island. Eight to nothing. Camille Ortiz Martinez ripped her first homer, a three run shot. Alexa Galagani, also a freshman, had a two run triple among her three RBI. And Tylee Vaughn, another freshman, finished up the run rule portion with an RBI single in the fourth inning. The Bulls got a solid start from freshman Jaden Martinez, who got the win. Then on Saturday, pitching matchup against Alyssa Kelly, who is from Nature Coast, was 10-0 with a sub-1 ERA. And the Bulls' Peyton Dixon, who was masterful, didn't look like Dixon was going to get a reward for her work, though, as Kelly had the 1-0 lead going into the bottom of the seventh. But here's how that ended up. And that ball's golfed, it's gonna stay fair. Reno's gonna turn this into extra bases depending on the care if she should stay at two. Oh, they bungle it in right field. She's gotta hurry up and get down. She does for a triple! Two and one to Pond. Drills it, fair ball! We are tied. Can Pond stretch it into two? Yeah, she's they gotta hold her up, that is smart. RBI knock for Vivian. Bryant drills it to the outfield. That is gonna do the job. Centerfield is gonna make the catch. Caleb is gonna tag, and the balls are gonna win! Oh, that Ken Erickson pulling all the right strings who didn't have in there after Vivian Pond, who was pinch hitting for Jordan Cadlib, getting replaced by Cadlib as a pinch runner, and Cadlib stealing second and advancing to third on a bad throw, which allowed that to actually be the winning run. Unfortunately, the Bulls knocking off a 17-1 team did not carry over to Sunday. They fell behind 6-0 to Northern Illinois, did get late homers, a three-run shot by Megan Sheehan and one by Marissa Travelpiece, but they lose 6-4 today. They will play one game against Army. So after they won five in a row to get back to 500, they are back under it at 9 and 10, but yet right there today. And guess what? They play two more against Penn tomorrow. Back to 500 after getting there and then losing on Friday. They played a couple of very good teams, Louisiana Tech, and the team that won the doubles point lost the match in both cases. The Bulls actually got straight-setted in most of their singles defeats to La Tech. But then again, after dropping doubles on Sunday against Toledo, these matches were much longer and the Bulls were victorious. Sierra Berry wins her second set in a tiebreaker and then takes the third 7-5. to five. Grace Schumacher, after dropping her second set, wins the third 6-3. to three. Laura Perese lost hers in three sets, but Ireland Simi, like Berry, second set tiebreaker at the number four single spot. It was 10-8 and then she rolled in the final set. Oh yeah, the other two matches were three setters as well and won by the Bulls, Marta Faselta-Font and Cleona Walsh. That was a thriller. Great job by the women's tennis team. They're now 5 and 5.